Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to piggyback on our film noir episode and go to a neo-noir episode, talking about the films that came after film noir that kind of had tendencies, but they were shot in color. And so that was part of the reason why film noir kind of died out, was the medium was changing to technicolor. And so the, the use of shadows and obviously enough time had passed between World War II, which was a common theme in film noir, as, as you heard. If you haven't heard the film noir episode, I suggest listening to that first, then listening to this, because this is kind of an accompanying type of episode. Anyway, the other, the other theory behind why... Um, film noir kind of died out was the advent of television. Once television came into play, you know, some of these kind of police dramas and and dark subjects somewhat got transferred to television. You had shows like Dragnet and uh, Mike Hammer and things like that. And so you could do kind of these B pictures even cheaper on television. And so it wasn't until maybe the mid to late 1960s that noir kind of came back. And we're going to discuss those films in this episode. I'll go through some of my favorites now. Okay, the first movie we're going to cover is Bonnie and Clyde from 1967. Most experts say this is the film that really brought in the new era of film noir into quote-unquote neo-noir. And so the first time I saw Bonnie and Clyde was in a film class that I took in college, and I've mentioned this in the past. But, you know, again, taking that film class was one of the best experiences I've had and, and one of the best decisions I made in my college career, and there would be no podcast without that. And I saw so many classic films, and uh, to be able to analyze each film, it was just an amazing experience. And so I always say, if college isn't in the cards for you and it isn't for everyone, feel free to use this podcast as kind of your pseudo guide to movies and film, and, and that's what I kind of base this podcast on. It's it's supposed to be entertaining, but it also should be educational somewhat as well. And uh, again, it's this is way cheaper than going to college, and I won't even make you write a paper, so I think it's a good deal. Uh, but if you didn't know already, the movie Bonnie and Clyde is based on the real-life criminal couple Clyde Barrow and Bonnie Parker, and they just wreaked havoc in the United States in the early 1930s. Bonnie and Clyde went on multiple crime sprees, including, you know, robbing banks and other small businesses. And the cast in this film is just tremendous. You get Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway as the lead characters. And also Gene Hackman and Gene Wilder have supporting roles. And, and if you enjoy gangster films and crime movies, you just need to check this out. This needs to be first on your list. And, and Neil Noir, as... In film noir, it was kind of implied violence. There was a violence around, but it wasn't, you know, quote-unquote gory. Neo-noir kind of brought in the new, ushered in the new era of violence in the film, and that's one of the common themes you will also see, in addition to kind of the sinister femme fatale of traditional film noir. All right, next is the original Dirty Harry from 1971. Now, he made four other sequels, and to me, they're all excellent in their own way. Um, they're all worth checking out, but you got to see the first because they're really the first 
was somewhat groundbreaking when it came to like hard-boiled new era type of cops and Clint Eastwood was the perfect character for this for Detective Callahan uh and I you know I forget how old I was when I first saw this but I just always love how cool Clint Eastwood was he didn't say much but you knew you didn't want to mess with him because he'd probably kick your ass and and growing up in the San Francisco Bay Area I love that Dirty Harry was filmed in San Francisco like really filmed in San Francisco you see all sorts of shots like uh the original Kizar Stadium with the 49ers used to play before they moved to Candlestick Park. There's all sorts of shots around the city. And, uh, you know, contrary to popular belief, the famous line, go ahead and make my day, was not in this film. That was actually in Sudden Impact from 1983. This one was the, you know, um, did he fire six shots or only five? And then he goes into the little the little dialogue. And that's in the beginning of the movie. And so he kind of, <laughs> he sets the tone in that of the dark, the darkness of Detective Harry Callahan. And, you know, and I believe part of the reason that the movie box office totals are down, you know, over the past few years is due to the lack of true movie stars. You know, when I was a kid, I'd go see a Stallone movie just because it was a Stallone movie. I'd see Tom Cruise or even Adam Sandler because even if the movie looked terrible, I would go see it because those are the the type of people I could they could build a movie around. And I enjoyed seeing those, those, those people on screen. And Clint Eastwood... Uh, was one of those actors for me. And and frankly, I, you know, there are very talented actors now, but I'm never going I'm not going to go see a movie just because Chris Pratt's in it or Jennifer Lawrence or whoever the top quote-unquote actors are today. It's just not happening. Uh I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or only five? Well, to tell you the truth in all this excitement, I've kind of lost track myself. But Ian, this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would blow your head clean off. You've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? Hey. I got to know. All right, next is Chinatown from 1974, and this is another one that I saw in that film class. We saw uh, Bonnie and Clyde, we saw this, we saw Psycho, we saw Casablanca, just all sorts of tremendous films. And, you know, the, again, one of the things that doesn't make this a traditional film noir is it was basically shot in color, and that, that's why uh, the neo-noir term was designated for post-1960 films. And uh, the acting is just superior in this film. You get Jack Nicholson in an early role, Faye Dunaway and John Huston. You know, in many ways, Chinatown reminds me of Touch of Evil, which I touched upon, no pun intended, uh, in the film noir episode. So this is definitely worth checking out. It's brutal as typical of Roman Polanski films, and uh, I, yeah, <laughs> Lindley and I have talked about Polanski and, and Woody Allen, and, and and yes, they are despicable human beings, um, and it does, leaves me with mixed emotions about watching their films. That being said, this is this is a great work of art. I don't condone those, <laughs> their actions in, in real life, and uh, yeah, so, that being said, this is a great film. If you can hold aside your feelings of what they do with their personal life, uh, it's probably best, but maybe it makes sense of the kind of dark films he makes. Anyway, Chinatown from 1974, excellent you know, noir film. Next up is Taxi Driver from 1976. And this, you know, you could say that The Godfather Part Two made De Niro, but in my opinion, and, and a lot of people, this is the 
pinnacle, not pinnacle, but the the role that really made De Niro a superstar, and it's a super dark film. This is another tendency of neo-noir where it was even more violent uh, than film noir, as I mentioned before. Uh, just Travis, the the character of Travis Bickle is is often often parodied in, in certain lines of parody of course you know the you look are you looking at me type of you know line everyone knows that but this also sets a tone that in in film noir one of the common themes are returning war veterans from the world war ii now it's returning war vet- veterans from vietnam and that's where they kind of get into the uh travis uh, bickle character and, and in addition to de niro you get a very young jodie foster in one of her early roles harvey Keitel. Sybil Shepard, Peter Boyle, Albert Brooks. I mean, just an ensemble cast. And and plus, Martin Scorsese directed this. It's not a film I really want to watch over and over again because it is super dark, but you can't take... I mean, this is... If you're a film buff, you have to see Taxi Driver at least once. It's one of those types of films. And it will stick with you forever. That's the type of performance you get from all these actors and actresses. All right, next is Body Heat from 1981. And this is where the more modern era kicks in because this is where you get a chance that you couldn't do in old film noir from the 1940s. Everything involving sex was implied. And it was use of shots and and looks and certain shadows. Well, now you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> Once you're in the 1980s, you can show full-blown sex scenes and, and steamy, passionate scenes. And most of what people remember is, of course, that with William Hurt and Kathleen Turner and Body Heat. However, the movie is much more than just you know some sort of <laughs> cheap Cinemax type uh, type of film. It, it's actually a very interesting plot. Definitely inspired by Double Indemnity and Out of the Past. And so if you're into film noir and you want a more of a modern take, definitely check it out. It's got a lot of the smoky atmosphere of down south type of things. And so you also have Richard Crenna, Ted Danson in an early role, Mickey Rourke. Really, really well done film and, and definitely worth checking out. You might know this because of its... Um, you know, it's reputation, but if you can get past that, or maybe that's the reason you're going to watch it, uh, you're going to get a good film out of it too. So definitely check out Body Heat. All right, next up is Blood Simple from 1984. And this one I've seen, I first saw fairly recently, like within the last 10 years with once I got my Netflix (laughs) subscription, I can go back and watch all the movies I missed Obviously, I was too young, and my parents were good parents and didn't let me watch this, so I couldn't check it out. But once I started going back and, you know, figuring out, um, you know, like the Coen brothers, this was their directorial debut. And so uh, liking those type of films that they did, and it's also the debut of Frances McDormand, who, of course, is married to Joel Coen. So this is definitely one to check out, especially if you're a fan of any of those. And the plot kind of follows the same thing as, not the same thing, but similar to body heat in the sense of you know uh, somebody has hired a private investor to kill his cheating wife and um and just there's a lot going on in it but it's definitely dark definitely violent it actually the title of the film is comes from a dashiell hammett novel which is uh, who wrote many detective and film noir type films and books and uh yeah just a really well done film if you're a fan of the coen brothers and of course Francis mcdermott you definitely want to check out blood simple all right, next up is Blue Velvet from 1986. I should just have Malin on uh, just to discuss Blue Velvet because he's a huge David Lynch fan. I'm sure he's a big fan of this film as well. Uh, but the, yeah, this I could try to explain the plot, but it's it's what's the point? If you've seen a David Lynch movie, it's never what it seems. But this is kind of mandatory viewing. It's a it's tough to watch. I'm going to warn you. It's one of those. 
um, psychological, but with some film noir tendencies. So that's kind of what makes it the neo noir. But the acting is just tremendous, and you get Kyle McLaughlin, Isabella Rossellini, Dennis Hopper, who had an amazing 1986. In addition to Blue Velvet, he was also in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 and Hoosiers. So yeah, welcome back to the. Uh, movie world and Hollywood elite Dennis Hopper and also Laura Dern is in this film as well and so yeah it's this is one where I haven't seen it a lot I've seen it enough I remember the film I re- definitely remember the film I remember certain scenes uh, I should go back and, re- and re-watch it but it's 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 not an easy watch and some of these newer neo-noir movies are less I don't know if enjoyable is the right word, but there are ones that you're not going to go back and rewatch over and over again because they're very intense. Film noir, there's a certain, a certain I don't know, I don't want to call it campiness, but it's it's a little bit softer. Now, it's probably hard-boiled for the time, but then when you get to more modern era, they're allowed more uh, ability to show more darkness, more violence, more sex. Sometimes that all blends together and it makes for an interesting viewing experience, but not necessarily a viewing experience you want to watch over and over again as opposed to film noir. Take that as you will. But in any case, film uh, Blue Velvet has to be on your short list of neo-noir classics to check out. All right, next is Pulp Fiction from 1994. And we've talked about Pulp Fiction a lot on this podcast. And there is a great episode with my other brother, Brian, Brian Provenzal, where we discuss the music only of Pulp Fiction. Of course, we we talk about the movie a little bit, but uh, definitely check out that episode if you enjoy Pulp Fiction. But my original memory of Pulp Fiction is having to sneak into the theater to actually see it because I was only 16 at the time. And my friends and I were rejected when we first tried to buy our ticket. And if I remember correctly, I I think we ended up buying tickets for Forrest Gump, and then we snuck into Pulp Fiction. It was a lot easier back then. You got to do what you got to do. You know, you have to do that when you want to see a movie, um, and you can't get in. Anyway, Pulp Fiction was the first Quentin, you know, Quentin Tarantino movie that I saw. I would see Reservoir Dogs a few years later on VHS, and to say Pulp Fiction is dark is like saying water is wet. I don't think I was mentally ready to see such violence and madness over 150 minutes in just one sitting. You know, everything from the drug overdoses, adrenaline shots to the heart, the the gimp, <laughs> tales of the watch. These were forever ingrained in my brain. And at 16, I wasn't seeing many movies like this. So there was probably a reason they wouldn't let me in. In any case, I ended up fairly normal, and I'm doing this wonderful podcast, so, you know, not not a not a bad choice for me to see, which led to this podcast many years later. In any case, gotta see Pulp Fiction. All right, to round out the upper echelon of films you have to see, it's L.A. Confidential from 1997. This is an awesome neo-noir film starring Kevin Spacey, Russell Crowe, Guy Pearce, and Kim Basinger. And what's interesting is this is really the breakout film for both Pearce and Russell Crowe in the U.S. market because they were kind of best known for their works in Australia. And this is the type of movie I think would have thrived in the pre-code era back in the early 1930s. And But it would still be rather tame by today's standards. And that's probably why LA Confidential did so well in 1997. The subject matter could be more brutal. And in any case, fans of classic film noir should love this movie because it really does, it takes place in the 40s in the film. So they, but they could do more things. They could be more violent. They can be sex, things like that. So some of the tendencies that they had to really soften back in the day, they don't have to do that now. And often when they create films that were supposed to be vintage, they can do that now. So it's kind of cool to do that. All right, the next part of the list, we're going to get into films that aren't necessarily the upper echelon, but they're definitely worth your time. 
I'm going to go chronologically for this next section. And so let's start from 1967 with the film Point Blank. And this is a gritty crime film starring Lee Marvin and Angie Dickinson. And it co-stars Keenan Wynn, Carol O'Connor, and John Vernon. You'll, of course, know John Vernon, Vernon as Dean Wormer in the Animal House film. Uh, the movie is pretty dark, especially for its time, which is probably why it holds up really well today. And so the plot revolves around Walker, that's Lee Marvin, who is double-crossed by his partner Mal, that's John Vernon, after a heist. And so Mal shoots Walker and leaves him for dead, and then he steals Walker's half of the, of the take. And so... Um, in addition, <laughs> Mal also steals Walker's wife, played by Sharon Acker. So, you know, because why the hell not? I already got his money, might as well take his woman as well. Of course, Walker ends up surviving, and then he looks for revenge on everyone who wronged him. So definitely dark, definitely uh, violent, especially for the time, and definitely ushered in the new era of film noir. All right, I said I was going to go chronologically, and I screwed up, but who cares? Because who's really paying attention? In any case... The only person that's really paying attention is the person that's editing it, and that's me. So forget what I just said. Now I'm going to, for real, go chronologically. But this is a weird one, because the next movie I'm going to pick, and it's The Hustler from 1961, it was still in black and white. So some people still technically call this uh, film noir. But since it happened after 1960, then it's kind of that gray area. But we're going to go with it anyway, because it did kind of usher in a new era of film. Terrific film, very dark, stars Paul Newman, Jackie Gleason, Piper Laurie, and George C. Scott, and all the aforementioned actors are in fine form, but the undeniable chemistry between Newman and Gleason is really what makes this film a classic. And if you didn't know already, the quick plot involves Fast Eddie Felson, that's Paul Newman, who is an up-and-coming pool hustler around town. And so his his whole goal in life is to beat Minnesota Fats, that's Jackie Gleason, in a pool match. Fats is arguably the best and most infamous pool player around. In the meantime, Eddie meets Sarah, that's Piper Laurie. They develop kind of they develop kind of a tumultuous relationship and it's just kind of a back and forth, very dark movie. Um and and one of the films that Paul Newman is best known for, which is saying a lot because he's known for a ton. All right, next is another cheat right along the same lines as The Hustler, but it's Cape Fear from 1962. Again, same scenario. It's still filmed in black and white. Kind of is on the, that edge of is it film noir, is it neo-noir, uh, but let's lean towards neo-noir on this one. And, and a majority of folks probably know that are listening to this podcast, they know the remake from 1991 with uh, Robert De Niro. And the original version, to me, is equally as terrifying and excellent. It's just done a little differently. And the original stars Gregory Peck and Robert Mitchum. Uh, as creepy as De Niro is in the remake, Mitchum is just as brutally evil and a conniving, and especially considering the era when it was made, and this is 1962. Basic plot is an ex-convict, that's Robert Mitchum, is released from prison and decides to terrorize uh, a man, that's that's Gregory Peck, he's a lawyer, um, who testified against him nine years prior and sent him to prison. And in order to get even, Mitchum stalks Peck and his family using every legal loophole possible to stay one step ahead of the law. And ironically, Peck's character is a lawyer, and he's being gained by the system that he truly believes in. And so the whole back and forth is excellent. There's definitely a chemistry there. It's still terrifying to this day. All right, next, we're actually going to get into a color film, and that's Harper from 1966. This is a crime thriller. Of course, has noir tendencies with Paul Newman, Warren Bacall, Julie Harris, Janet Lee, and Robert Wagner. Newman is the lead character. He plays a private investigator. He has Bogart-esque 
tendencies with his character. And of course, it's no coincidence that Bogart's widow, Lauren Bacall, is in, in the film and part of the film. The plot is centered around Lou Harper, that's Paul Newman, who is hired by a wealthy woman, played by Lauren Bacall, to find her kidnapped husband. And along the way, he runs into many shady characters, which gives a definite color to the somewhat dark film. And I think, you know, a lot of people, again, they, they say Bonnie and Clyde is, is the beginning of neo-noir because of the violent tendencies. But, you know, films like this and the ones I mentioned before, I think, really ushered in neo-noir. They're just not as famous. And this one is often forgotten in the Paul Newman filmography, but definitely worth your time, especially if you want to see him in a detective role. All right, next up, another detective film, and it's called The Detective from 1968 and stars Frank Sinatra. You know, Sinatra often, often doesn't get his just due about what a, a good actor he really was, and he was in a lot of good films this being one of them, and this film also stars Lee Remick, Jacqueline Bissett, Jack Klugman, William Wyndham, and Robert Duvall. And so what's really notable about this particular movie is it's one of the first mainstream movies to have the subject of homosexuality be the main plot point. And so the story involves the murder of a homosexual man, and the detective on the case, which is Frank Sinatra, discovers that through his investigation of the murder, a number of serious issues within the department, including drugs and corruption, and how it's being covered up because it's you know homosexuality of course was taboo at the especially in the the mid to late 1960s and so it gets into that which mainstream Hollywood hadn't dared touch yet and so neo-noir kind of allowed certain subjects to be brought to the forefront and this is a very good film and, and definitely worth checking out some early um, noir uh, for this era and uh, the detective is a good movie especially if you're into Frank Sinatra it's worth checking out. All right, next up is Play Misty for Me from 1971. And there's going to be a film that we discussed a little bit later that came out in the 80s that definitely uh, owes a debt of gratitude to Play Misty for Me. In any case, this is a psychological thriller starring Clint Eastwood, and it's also notable for being uh, Clint's directorial debut. The plot involves Clint playing a radio disc jockey who is being stalked by a woman named Evelyn, who is an obsessive fan. She, she's played by Jessica Walter, does an excellent job in this film. Initially, things start off innocently, and Evelyn requests a song called Misty during his program. But the soon, you know, they, they two happen to meet at a bar and not by accident, and they sleep together. Clint, of course, treats this as a casual relationship. Evelyn does not, and the mayhem begins. The film definitely has uh, its suspenseful moments, and it's a very cool Clint Eastwood movie since it's kind of different than you know the detective movie he was you know doing with Dirty Harry, and way different than the westerns he was doing you know that he was best known for before this. So definitely check out Play Misty for me. All right, next up is Death Wish from 1974. You know today revenge movies they're they're pretty common. However, back in 1974. Death Wish was pretty groundbreaking with its vigilante message. I know it was just remade with Bruce Willis, but you got to see the original first. The grittiness and darkness from this film is is still powerful today. Charles Bronson, he actually plays a mild-mannered architect who was initially opposed to violence. He's even scoffing in the film at the idea of owning a gun. But after the murder of his wife and his daughter's rape by a local gang... Bronson just snaps and his character snaps and he decides to put an end to all the crime that's ravaging his neighborhood and he eliminates the criminals that the police can't control. And this movie isn't for everyone, but if you're a fan of Charles Bronson or you like vigilante movies, I think you'll enjoy Death Wish. All right, next up is Against All Odds from 1984. A lot of people will know this film, not necessarily the film, but the soundtrack. Of course, Phil, uh, Phil Collins had a huge hit with the title track for this, uh, you know, Take a Look at Me Now. 
yes, that's the song that came from this film. But the film itself is very good, and it's a remake of a film noir film that we mentioned before called Out of the Past. Uh, this was actually directed by Taylor Hackford. It stars Jeff Bridges, Rachel Ward, and James Wood, uh, James Woods. Uh, Jane Greer, who was actually in Out of the Past, is in the film as well. Uh, ex-football player Alex Karras, who is you know, best known as being a Detroit Lions football player before he got in trouble for gambling. Uh, he was also the father in Webster. Uh, also an ex-gangster type uh, actor from the 50s, Richard Widmark's in it. Uh, really, really good film. The movie's about an aging uh, football star, that's Jeff Bridges, who was hired by a mobster to find his girlfriend. Uh, just really well done film, kind of similar in tone as Body Heat and, and Blood Simple because it's in the 80s. Um, and again, if you only know the Phil Collins song, it kind of <laughs> you have this sappy love ballad and it's kind of a dark film. So it's kind of funny to see that. But definitely check out Against All Odds. All right, next up is another Jeff Bridges film from 1985. And this one's Jagged Edge. Terrific thriller from the 1980s. Also, Glenn Close is in it and Peter Coyote. Uh, Jeff Bridges is accused of murdering his heiress wife, and he hires uh, Glenn Close as his attorney. Of course, the two end up being attracted to one another, and it's a major conflict of interest, especially when the two begin a relationship before the trial even begins. Uh, the courtroom scenes are actually terrific, and the final outcome really keeps you guessing throughout, which may always makes a great film. And Some fun trivia is that Jane Fonda was actually the original choice to play the lead character, but instead, Glenn Close got the role because Jane Fonda decided to turn down the role, which wasn't a good move. I think Jane Fonda would have been fine in this, but Glenn Close, excellent, excellent actress, and uh, I think made this film as good as it is. Okay, I alluded to this film but didn't mention it when I was talking about Play Misty for Me. So the film is actually Fatal Attraction from 1987. The movie, of course, stars Michael Douglas, Glenn Close, and Ann Archer. The plot is relatively simple, and... It really covers the mental stability of Close's character, um, but she's anything but stable. Uh, Michael Douglas has an affair with her, and he thinks that it's simply a one-time fling, but then she definitely does not feel that way, and she goes way off the deep end and, and stalks him throughout the film and just owns this role. She is absolutely amazing in this role. And since this movie was released when I was nine years old, it would be definitely a few years back before I actually saw it. Uh, however, I do specifically remember a funny story that my dad told me when him and my mom actually saw it in the theater. And of course, during the infamous rabbit scene, I'm not going to give anything away, but there's a rabbit scene. My mom grabbed my dad's leg so hard that he nearly jumped out of his seat. <laughs> so, yes, that should be cause enough alone to go see this film. So just watch out for rabbits. Anyway, I don't want to give away anything, but I probably did. In any case, it shouldn't take away from this excellent film. And, uh, yeah, terrific, terrific movie, Fatal Attraction. Next up is No Way Out from 1987. This is a thriller starring Kevin Costner, Gene Hackman, and Sean Young. And it's a loose remake of The Big Clock from 1948. Always been a big fan of Costner, but I will absolutely see any film with Gene Hackman in it, and he never disappoints, often plays bad guy. Costner, he actually plays a naval commander who becomes involved with a woman, played by Sean Young, who is involved with a high-powered politician, that's Gene Hackman. And I could explain more about the film, but there would be major spoilers, and I'm going to avoid that because I think a lot of people haven't seen this film. In any case, 
acting is terrific. The story is enthralling. And so go check out a trailer if you're not sure on YouTube and then check out No Way Out. And then go back and check out The Big Clock with Ray Meland. You might enjoy that as well. Okay, next up is one that might, people might forget about, but they shouldn't because it's a great film. And it's Frantic from 1988. This is a thriller starring Harrison Ford and Emmanuel Segnier and directed by Roman Polanski. And so it's it's easy to forget that Harrison Ford actually starred in a few great thrillers from the 1980s like Frantic and Witness because some people only remember him, you know, as, you know, Han Solo and Indiana Jones. The plot is uh, Harrison Ford plays a surgeon that's visiting Paris for a me- medical conference. Uh, after his wife, played by Betty Buckley, grabs the wrong suitcase at the airport, Ford, Ford decides to take a shower at, at their hotel before trying to find the correct suitcase. And when he gets out of the shower, he finds that his wife is missing and is nowhere to be found. And so Ford ends up meeting a young woman, that's Signet, who accidentally took his wife's suitcase. And they both end up teaming uh, to, to attempt to find Ford's wife, but of course, they deal with many shady characters along the way. Definitely worth checking out. I understand the conflict of uh, supporting, quote-unquote, supporting a Roman Polanski film, but this is a good film. This next one I really debated putting on because I wasn't sure because it fits so many forms of genre. But the more I thought about it, I'm like, you know what? The darkness, the neo-noir, it does fit. If it wasn't a superhero movie, you wouldn't think twice about calling it a, a detective film or you know, a neo-noir type film. And that's Batman from 1989. And this was the first modern era you know, movie version of Batman that I remember seeing. It came out in the summer of 1989, and I loved it, though it was way darker than my original introduction to the Batman character, because, of course, I saw the you know the 1960s show. Anyway, it's much more lighthearted than the comics. And to me, Michael Keaton was the best all-around actor to play Batman and, and Bruce Wayne at the time. And as much as I like Christian Bale's portrayal, I, I, portrayal, I just can't get over uh, the crazy voice he puts on when he's in the Batman costume. He's excellent as Bruce Wayne, though. Uh, of course, going back to Batman 1989, the movie is especially memorable due to Jack Nicholson's stellar performance as the Joker. Now... Brian uh, Provenzal and I will, will discuss a little bit further down the road about uh, the ultimate Joker, and we both agree that Heath Ledger is probably the ultimate Joker. The, pr- the problem, if there is a problem with Jack Nicholson's portrayal of the Joker in 1989, is you know it's Jack. <laughs> it's Jack playing the Joker, and you, you never lose sight that it's Jack Nicholson. You do forget about Heath Ledger. You don't even realize it's Heath Ledger when he turns into the Joker, and I think if you're going to... You know, base your decision on which one's better. That's the way I look at it. I think a lot of people do as well. But in any case, it doesn't take away from Jack's stellar performance. It's just my opinion. Uh, also, Kim Basker does a good job with the Vicky Vale character. And uh, I was kind of bummed she never appeared in any future films. But anyway, I think Batman 1989 deserves to be on this neo noir list. All right, next up is, in similar to the way Body Heat is, like people remember Body Heat, they think of sex. Same way for this film. It's Basic Instinct from 1992. And so, of course, people know the one infamous scene where Sharon Stone's being interrogated. Maybe the one with an ice pick, but... But because of the scene, it would be a few years before I was allowed to watch the movie, and I was only 13 at the time of the original release, but in spite of the well-known racy scenes and violence, this is a great thrower, and sometimes movie gets get to be known for certain things instead of work as, as a whole, good and bad, and so if you only know it for that and you only think it's just some you know skin flick, it's not. There's actually a great 
thriller involved in a great plot. And both Michael Douglas, Sharon Stone, terrific. Janine uh, Triplehorn played their parts very well. And the film is basically a modern-day film noir, making it neo-noir. And so why the movie studios ever felt the need to produce a sequel for this is beyond me, um, but it just kind of tarnishes the legacy of the stellar first film. So definitely check out the original Basic Instinct from 1992. All right, next up, there's a common theme here. It's another Michael Douglas movie. Uh, this one's 19, from 1994, and it's Disclosure. And this is kind of erotic thrower with Michael Douglas and Demi Moore. And it's interesting that Michael Douglas has been in a lot of types of these uh, films, you know, whether it be Fatal Attraction or Basic Instinct. But in Disclosure, Douglas plays a married man who is actually sexually harassed by his boss, which is Demi Moore. And so I once heard a comedy bit from a stand-up comedian that, you know, about the ridiculousness of the movie as if any male is actually going to turn down Demi Moore if she came on to him. While I'm not about to get into an ethical debate about the double standard of sexual harassment when it comes to the issue of who the harasser is and if they're attractive or not to the victim, the film does bring up some interesting conflicts. And it's an entertaining flick, and it definitely fits the neo-noir tendencies. There you have a femme fatale and Demi Moore, and whether it's believable or not, it's still a pretty well-done film. So I'm in the hotel, and I'm watching HBO, and uh, Disclosure's on, this movie with Demi Moore and Michael Douglas, where she's like his boss or something, and in the first five minutes of the movie, she's in his office trying to pull down his pants, and she's going, let me blow you or you're fired. Yeah, you know, it's right around then the UFO should start landing. <laughs> let me blow you or you're fired? You know, I had a boss like that once, but it was a guy. And, uh, not the same thing. And I blew him, and I got fired. So I don't know if I give bad head, or it was just phasing me out, or what. She's always in those movies, too. Demi Moore is always in those. That one with uh, Robert Redford in Las Vegas. I'll give you a million dollars for a night with your wife. And they go, we have to talk about it. Yeah, I would have said, look, I'll blow you for 20000 You don't want her. She doesn't know what she's doing. We don't need dinner on a yacht. You can save a lot of gas money. Trust me. That's sick. It is? What, is it the money amount that makes it wrong? For 50 grand, it's okay? Really? Because my dad happens to be a loan officer. Well, I'm glad we established that it was the money part that was making it wrong. All right, the next movie is Seven from 1996, and definitely noir tendencies, very dark. It's a thriller. Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman, Kevin Spacey, um, Gwyneth Paltrow, almost forgot her. She's very important, as you'll find out in the end. Um, yeah, definitely a, a great movie, but for I've told this story before on the podcast. If you want to hear it on the worst date movies, you'll hear you can hear it there, but I'll repeat it for those that don't want to go back. My memory of this movie will forever be tied to the date I had in high school. Um, I met a girl at a beach party a few weeks prior to seeing this film. We got together, you know, we, we got together to finally go on a real date. And to, what's funny is, to be honest, I don't remember uh, much of the original meeting because I was rip roaring drunk. We were at a beach and, you know, whatever. But obviously, I made her laugh. She wanted to, to pursue things even further. So, what the hell? Let's go on a date. 
So we go out, and she says, well, well which movie do you want to see? And I'm like, I don't care. I'm, I'm flexible. And so we're looking at the... The movie Marquee, because before Fandango, folks, before we had a phone, we would just sometimes show up to the theater to see what's playing. That's what happened. Jeez, in the mid-1990s. I know. How long ago is that? Anyway, so I let her pick the movie. So she's looking, and she says, well, Seven sounds really good. I, I know it's a bit dark, but hey, I'm okay with dark. How about Seven? And I say, sure, fine with me. Yeah, we want to get dark. This is as dark as it gets. And and again, fabulous movie. It's not a first date movie. <laughs> so it's completely, you know, we, we come home and we're on the way home. It was completely silent, completely awkward. We weren't even talking. You know, that was the first and last date because what's in the box? Yeah, we were going to get into that. No, nah, didn't happen. So anyway, I don't know what happened to her. The movie, on the other hand, lives in infamy for me, and I still enjoy the film, but... Yeah, whatever. We would have been better off seeing Showgirls. We should have seen Showgirls. All right, next is Wild Things from 1998, and it's a lot like Basic Instinct. It's best known for its erotic scenes. However, Lost in the Mix is actually a really done, well-done thriller with quality plot twists. And so while some may be initially intrigued by the race, you know, the racy notoriety of certain scenes, you'll actually end up liking the film even more than you would think. And so the film stars Kevin Bacon, Matt Dillon, Nev Campbell, and Denise Richards. And, and seriously, there are so many twists and turns in the plot of the of Wild Things that I'm not even going to attempt to explain them all. So if you're a fan of erotic thrillers and you like body heat, you like basic instinct, and you haven't seen this yet, I think it's definitely worth you know, adding to your Netflix queue or whatever you do or however you watch films nowadays. All right, there's plenty more films I could discuss, and the last one I'm going to cover is Sin City from 2005. Uh, the, uh, very similar in the sense of it's a graphic novel, so you could tie it back to Batman. It's directed by Robert Rodriguez and Frank Miller, and, uh, you know, it's based on Frank Miller's graphic novel. So definitely worth checking out. Really well done. Um, you know, again, there's plenty of other films we could mention, but this is the ones I've seen. These are the ones I enjoy, and I'm just trying to pass along that knowledge to you. And so uh, not much to say about Sin City. It just I enjoyed it. Great cast. Jessica Alba, Benicio Del Toro, uh, Clive Owen, Mickey Rourke, Bruce Willis. There's countless of other people. And so uh, definitely worth checking out. More modern. This is probably the newest film I have on, on the list because it's 2005. Um, but yeah, there's really neo-noir. I wouldn't say it's dying. There's definitely films out there that are, that are dark. Don't get me wrong, but right now it's all superhero movies, folks. And so, yeah, don't get me started on that. Anyway, there's always the ability. There's this podcast. That's why we call it Damn Good Movie Memories. So you can go back and watch the great films that you might've missed because there's so much out there. And with the, you know, with technology the way it is, it's easier than ever to go out and find movies that you may have missed. So go check them out. Get your notepad ready, write down all these films, and spend the next <laughs> year watching all these films. Anyway, I hope you enjoy it. I hope you enjoy Neo Noir, and uh, thanks for listening. We'll have another excellent episode next week. If you enjoy this podcast and are an iTunes user, please do the show a favor and head on over to the official iTunes page for damn good movie memories. Be sure to leave a rating and a review. This will allow the show to appear higher in the algorithm and spread the joy of this podcast to the masses. If you are not an iTunes user, you can still listen and subscribe on Podbean at damngoodmoviememories.podbean.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook under our Damn Good Movie Memories page. You can also listen to a limited number of episodes on YouTube. 
I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and be sure to tune in next week for an all new episode of Damn Good Movie Memories. I am Dr. Fuck. And I'm the actual alcoholic. And we are part of the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. We are the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. That's right. And the way you can check us out is we are on iTunes and also Podbeam. And we forgot a review recently. I got this review right here. It says right here, it says, Rock and Metal Combat Podcast is the greatest podcast in the world. And it's my number one podcast signed by Science. Now, and then Science also said. Science. Science also said, my second favorite podcast is, it doesn't matter, the rest suck. Rock and Metal Combat Podcast on iTunes and Poppy. Check it out. Science. Are you ready for the hottest new podcast out there? Check out the Vieira Vault, featuring none other than Dr. Fuck Ralph Vieira. You will hear personal stories and personal songs from the vault. There ain't nothing else like it. The one, the only, the original Vieira Vault. On Podbean, Stitcher.com, and iTunes. Spreaker. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs>